to Too Close to Home. I'm Jen. I'm Becky. And this is part two of Dean Coral. So I wanted to go through my sauces again, just to, from the top. The Man with Candy by Jack Olson, which was an excellent and very in-depth true crime um, novel. And it does go a lot into what the families of the boys went through afterwards. And then we have Last Podcast on the Left, episodes 210 to 213. ABC 13 News, the Houston Chronicle, Wikipedia, YouTube, <laughs> and Reddit. Um, the YouTube and Reddit were, I have some photos that are just disgusting and a, and a video or a recording of um, Henley calling his mama. So mm. I figured we'd uh, listen to that today. And that's where those come from. The last time we left off, they had just arrived to 2020 Lamar Street. And it was the summer of 1973. It feels like it's the beginning of a movie, right? <laughs> or the beginning of the summer. It was the summer of 69. Whatever the <laughs> year it is. <laughs> you know that had to have been playing in the background of at least one of those murders. Oh, that's sad. Don't ruin the song for me. <laughs> no, wait, no, that came on the 80s. Never mind. Just okay. kidding. This was in the 70s. We're good. <laughs> that memory's still intact. Okay. Don't worry. <laughs> This should be fucking me up sometimes. <laughs> it really do, though. It does. <laughs> so, at this point, these boys have been going on for about three years of abducting, torturing, murdering, burying, and starting that all over again and over again and over again. They, of course, like all people do, start growing apart. Yeah. You know, it's really sad. It is. Life changes, you turn into a different person, you know. Exactly. So David Brooks, um, and I don't know, because he had a kind of a romantic relationship with Dean Coral in a way, in this really weird Stockholm Syndrome oh, okay. kind of way, where he fell in love with his captor. It's not that romantic. It's Dean Coral we're talking about. <laughs> in the shed. Film but in the shed. <laughs> I guess that he was trying to prove his manhood, and he did by knocking up his girlfriend and deciding mm-hmm. to marry her. So he left the heights at that point. And was going back and forth between Beaumont and Houston. Henley actually was so afraid of Dean because Dean had made comments about his brothers. Mm. And he was the oldest in his family of like a crap ton of kids, as they did in that era. And so he was nervous that if he left the operation, Dean would prey upon his family. But at the same time, it started escalating so much that he decided, well, I'm going to try to join the Navy. And the Navy is like... You're a high school dropout, so mm, hard, hard pass. Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> poke you, owe me a coke. <laughs> With Dean planning on leaving Houston, his girlfriend of five years, Betty Hawkins, recalled a conversation where uh, Dean had called her and said, you know, I, I just need to go be with Mama. I'm going to go to Colorado. It's not time for you to come yet, okay? You Make stay it here. and I'll come back for you. <laughs> yeah, I'll come back. Don't worry. Shh. Just getting a peck of Newport's, babe. <laughs> so she uh, said the only thing he did specify is do not tell David Brooks where I'm going. Because I guess his attachment still wasn't completely finished or whatever. He didn't say why or what have you. He was just like, I'm getting ready to go. Don't tell David Brooks. Even after it came out that Dean had killed all these boys, this girlfriend still defended him. Oh. He just loved children. He always had children around. And they were together for five years. Never had sex. They almost had it one time, and then he was just like, not in the mood. 
She was a single mom in her late 20s, so at the time she was basically an old woman. Basically. So, I mean, he she was the perfect beard. She's not going to yeah. be mad about not having sex as long as she still has somebody to call right. her own. Henley and Brooks had grown tired of everything, and they decided together that they were going to kill Dean. Oh, okay. But, so to hype themselves up, they would huff a bunch of, you know, paint, and then it, as you, it normally happens when you huff, you pass out. I said that like you know what it's like to <laughs> right? huff. I, myself, don't know what it's like to I huff. I don't either. I think that was a very 70s era thing. By the time we had come along, the designer drugs were out, so we didn't need that. Okay? <laughs> we were above it. Way above it. <laughs> Classy like that. You know, you had ecstasy and all that. And I'm just saying, I've never even done ecstasy. I'm not going to lie. I haven't either. I'm not even going to sit here and I was going to sit here and try to sound cool, but I am not. Everybody knows. <laughs> so they would huff too much paint and they'd pass out and they'd wake up and be like, damn, we didn't kill him. All right, next time. And it never worked out eventually. So the last month before his death, Wayne Henley was pretty much the only person that had a lot of contact with him. He really drew back. He was already pretty reclusive, and then he extremely drew back. He was super agitated, and he wanted to kill more and more. Even Henley saying, oh, well, he wasn't happy. He was just real tense, and he would have been happy if I'd given him a boy a day. No. Oh. And he, in that two-month span, he killed eight children. Jesus. On uh, August 8th, 1973, that's the last day. That's it. He was going to take do one for the road, you know what I mean? Like, let, let me just have one more murder before I head on to Colorado. But the deck was already stacked against him at this moment, and he didn't even know it. Because Henley was hanging out with a future victim, and his name was... I can't remember his name. Tim Curley. That's his <laughs> name. <laughs> Tim Curley was the intended victim, and this 14-year-old Rhonda Williams, which Henley had been seeing on the side... They were madly in love, and she decided that she was going to run away. Well, he says, don't just go running away. You can come stay at Dean's house. Despite having brought girls to Dean's house, he had never brought girls to stay at Dean's house. That day, Tim, Rhonda, and Henley, which Rhonda was the former fiancé of Frank Aguirre, which was a victim of Dean's PBS. Yeah. Real sad. Yeah. So she had already experienced a lot of crap at that point. So they all show up on uh, Dean's house, and Dean loses his shit immediately. You weren't supposed to bring any goddamn girls. You ruined everything. <laughs> That's a direct quote. Henley decided to try to get him to calm down. They, him and Dean go into another room. He's like, man, she just needs a place to stay. Don't worry about it. You know, this won't affect anything. And Dean calms down and goes, you know what? It's going to be fine. It's going to be cool. It's going to be cool. How about some party favors? Here's some more bags for huffing. Hmm. All three kids get to huffing and pass out. When Henley had, like, the best tolerance for huffing, which is the sad thing yeah. to say, he had done so much. So he woke up before Tim and Rhonda, and he woke up to find himself handcuffed, Rhonda handcuffed, and then Tim Curley naked and handcuffed and tied to the torture board, mm. knowing exactly what's about to happen. Dean throws the radio up loud again, and that's where that quote came from at the beginning. I'm going to kill you all, but first, I'm going to have my fun. <laughs> Henley puts his charm on Dean. Oh, Dean, I'm so sorry. Um, You're right. You're right. I shouldn't have brought this bitch here. 
I'm a killer. Don't worry. I'm going to take care of this. And Henley's like, you know what? Okay, fine. Henley, not Henley, uh, Dean is like, fine. Okay, I knew you'd come to your senses. And he puts the twenty-two pistol right next to Henley. Also, the whole time he's naked. Uh, Dean yeah. is? Dean. Butt-ass okay. naked. So he's naked. The boy's naked on the thing. Henley's wearing his clothes and Rhonda's wearing her clothes, but very awkward. Right. You know, naked ass man with a pistol. And so he goes, fine, I'll, I'll unhook you. And he says, great. He unhooks him and he starts walking towards Tim Curley and he points at Rhonda and says, get to work. Henley gets up and he grabs the uh, pistol and he says, I'm so tired of you killing all my friends. Dean turns around and looks at him and says, Kill me, Wayne. Why don't you kill me then? You won't do it. And then Henley shoots him. Famous last words. Yeah. Never threaten someone with a gun to, you won't do it. You ain't gonna do it. Chicken bad, shit. Bad idea. R.A.P. Not kidding. Not really. Just I mean, kidding. I'm glad he killed Dean. But oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. If any of you catch yourself in a situation like that, don't ever say, you won't do it. Go ahead. Shoot me. Right. Don't do it. After he killed him, you know, Curly, they he gets Curly and Rhonda and gets them out of their stuff. And at this point, he's like, we just need to leave. And Curly's like, we need to call the police. You need to, I mean, this was obviously self-defense. Neither of them know what's happening or, like, what mm. he had this intention or anything. They don't know all the backstory and how he's been doing this and that Henley was in involved. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, no, 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 we got to call the police. And so he calls the police and all three kids go and sit on the front porch and when Henley calls, he goes, y'all need to come right now. I just done killed a man. Dean Coral gives him the address, which is 2020 Lamar Drive. And they go sit on the front porch. And while they're waiting for the cops, he starts chuckling. And Henley says, if you weren't my friend, I would have made $1,500 for you today. Oh, my. And the kids didn't know what he was talking about. And, of course, the police roll up. They find Dean butt-ass naked, dead on the ground. They find the torture board. They find all these things. And at this point, Henley could have denied any involvement other than, hey, right. he trapped us, da-da-da. Well, Henley, being a fucking loudmouth, starts going on about all these boys. He's been doing this for a while, and he's, you know, done this to me and made me participate, really initially painting himself as a, a victim himself, just dragged into it, not knowing he was killing the boys. Which was obviously a lie. Right. So for the first couple days after this started out, he was touted as a hero. The hero that killed the mm. candy man who killed all these boys. And then whenever the police arrived, they described Dean's body. And I hope this never happens to me. Oh. Pale, puffy, and flaccid. <laughs> <laughs> like you had to throw the flaccid in there? Okay. <laughs> The home was mostly empty except for a poster of a Jesus-like figure with the word love. Oh, okay. He had very little things because he moved quite a bit. And if you're moving a lot, you definitely don't want to move a lot of shit, I guess. But you don't want to forget the Jesus poster. No. But he did have his torture box. The torture box featured a 18-inch double-headed dildo, glass tubes, ropes, ropes that he also got from his job, like the glass tubes, Plastic wrap and other torture devices. He was really the Martha Stewart of serial killers, to be honest, you know. Got that decor on fleek. Right. <laughs> Henley did not have to state, you know, that he did see all these murders, but he, of course, wanted to be that hero in that situation, like I said. 
he told the police he was involved because of financial reasons and that Dean had told them that this was because of a sex trafficking circle and blah, blah, blah. And I, I still can't, that still baffles me. Like, okay, you're just in a sex trafficking ring. Okay. I thought you were murdering these boys for a second there. I, I mean, you did it cause you needed the money. So we totally understand. We totally get you selling That's out your right. fucking friends. Yeah. To be sexually tortured and killed for a couple bucks. Later on, when he was interviewed by the police, Henley said, Dean taught me to shoot a man till he was down. And I shot Dean until he was down. He would have been proud of me. Definitely some messed up psychological stuff going on with that boy. Oh, yeah. Of course, now that the police know that there's all these murders. They want to know where the bodies are. And that's where he directs them to that boat storage that we visited on Silver Bell Lane. When they opened the door, they found items that would be perfect for burying bodies. Garbage cans to remove dirt, lime, shovels, plastic wrap. The room was big enough for a small yacht. They say that, like, I'm going to know what yes. a regular lot's, lot yacht's going to be sized <laughs> like. Baby, I don't know. I need you to put it in comparison to... We might have had a, a canoe. or something. Okay? A little a dinghy. <laughs> yeah. A yacht does not come into my vocabulary mm-hmm. as a unit of measurement. <laughs> I've never been yacht shopping, so I don't know what a small, medium, or large is. You know, it's Thursday. I feel like we need to trade out our yacht. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I wish that was my biggest conundrum of the day. We're going to get there one day. Mm-hmm. Sure. <laughs> Moving on up. Uh, they found a bag of clothing... Which were his trophies. All the clothing he had stripped off the boys in trash bags. Which is very un... Like, I mean, I know it's a like lot. like just jammed in there. I don't know if it was a trophy to me. I felt like it would have been done a little bit better, but who's to say? Yeah, um, I agree. They did find a bicycle of a boy that went missing five days earlier. And Henley stated that 19 boys would be buried in that spot. The excavation was rudimentary at best. So you're thinking, 1970s, we don't know, we don't got CSI, right? We don't got a lot more SVU. We do not. No, we do not. So, of course, they get some trustees from the jail. They do not tell them what they're going to do. And these are trustees from the drunk tank. (laughs) (laughs) They're trustees from the drunk tank. Not, like murderers themselves or just you someone know. that got thrown in to sleep it off because they're supposed were. to just be there for like 24 hours they're the ones who get drafted i feel like that would keep you from ever going back to jail again oh right like you just like what we were talking about earlier <laughs> yeah <laughs> steer clear of that place last time i went i had to dig up some dead bodies right so of course with that bag of clothing they threw it out they didn't need it um because oh. that obviously didn't matter, right? The okay. victim's clothing that they were wearing when they died. Okay, sure. This was also in August, and we all know what August in Houston is like. It's 90 degrees, fully humid. They're in this storage building, and they start to dig. They hit a layer of lime, and underneath that layer is a little bit more dirt and then a freshly wrapped body in plastic. My thing is, if you're going to wrap it in plastic, what's the point of the lime? Because lime is supposed to aid in decomposition of the body. And if you're wrapping the body, it's going to keep it, you know, where it's not in direct contact. So um, it's going to be like a um, Capri Sun of Death. <laughs> That's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they get the start getting bodies out. I think they get like two or three of them out and they go... 
you know what, let's dig a little deeper. And they dig a little deeper and find another layer of lime and more bodies. These are more decomposed. So they keep going down until it becomes a sludge of bodily fluids and dirt and bodies where the bodies have disintegrated and came out of the plastic wrap. Aww. So it's just all mingled and mangled all up in there. Sorry, I probably should have warned you about that. <laughs> this is where Dean, uh, not Dean, but uh, Henley and Brooks had been present at the storage. No, just Henley, I believe, was at the storage shed. And he would take these real highs and lows where he'd be laughing and congenial and then all of a sudden really upset and really to himself. He decides all of a sudden he needs to call his mama. You ready to hear that recording? I, I don't even know how they have this because I don't think they recorded stuff much in those days, but... Oh, that might have been still when they used... Well, you know, let me just stop because I'm going to sound foolish. <laughs> Can you can I come out there? And he's like, yeah. And then Debbie in the background is like, no. <laughs> I'm. I, I don't want to be ugly, but he doesn't sound very educated. No. Well, he was. Mama like, doesn't either. No, they were all high school dropouts. They were not very um, well-read people. He, I could say he sounds like the kind of person that if I needed someone to lure people to kill them he does sound like the perfect person to do it oh yeah oh absolutely uh, and, and his, his mom, mama can I come out there yeah no no you well, cannot well hold on i guess in her defense she doesn't know they're digging up dead bodies that's true he never said that so she was okay and dean had been known as like a father figure to him dean had been over at their house eating dinner with them all the time her upsetness is like what the it's a confusion then, yeah. of, like, you killed Dean. That's the person. He had to have done something real bad for you to have killed him. Right. All the meanwhile, the owner of the storage building comes out and be like, bro, what's going on? I own this. And they're like, well, there's a whole <laughs> lot of bodies in there. And she's like, hold up. Hold up. I'm going to get you all the paperwork right now. So she came with the receipts. You know, he had been renting it since November 1970. Um, he would visit two to three times a week, sometimes just to pick up and drop off, and then sometimes he would go in there, shut the doors, and work in there for hours. Which was a rudimentary boat shed with a dirt floor. So what was he doing? Digging holes. Exactly. It takes hours to get that deep. It was his hobby, you know? She said, uh, and this is where, like, the deniability of people, where they just won't look at something. Uh, whenever it rained, an uh, ungodly, horrible smell would come from it, and dogs stray dogs in the area would always be pawing at the door. Ick. Yeah. As they're pulling him out, they're buying all these bodies, some of them with Venetian black blind cords around their neck. Um, one specific kids, and this is really sad to say, is 
you could see the expression on his face steal. His lips curled underneath his, like, behind his teeth, you know, gasping for air. Even dead, he was still tortured. You know, it was just... That's sad. Yeah. They're smoking cigarettes constantly because it's smelling horrible in there, right? Liquid death. Which is doing nothing but mixing cigarette smoke with the the smell of bodily rotting I wouldn't even be able to smoke because I'd be like, I feel like I was inhaling dead bodies. Like, I get weird about well, that. There's a bad smell. I feel like if I smell it, I taste it. Even people who weren't smoking... Even, were smoking. <laughs> even people who weren't smokers were smoking because oh, it. it was in their nostrils. Oh, yeah. They were trying to get that... Ugh. They also took a dinner break and decided on a finger food called fried chicken. Mm. These people were, like, covered in muck, and they're like, you know what? Let's go get some chicken. Right? <laughs> so at midnight, they stopped and resumed in the morning, discovering the deeper they go, the worse mess it became. They found a body, um, a bag of genitals. And it was a sealed plastic bag. And because it was sealed, it was airtight sealed, these pieces remained intact even after oh, the rest gross. of the bodies around it had decayed. Just a bag of balls. Mm-hmm. There was a body of a boy where you could tell that his genitals were bitten off in one rash tear. It's pretty sad. There's also something I forgot to say last time about Henley. Uh, because... People will hear that, you know, he killed Dean and they don't know the whole story. But he is much a perpetrator as Dean was. And he was pretty fucking psychotic. For the Hillegeist, which was the family that real young boy, I think it was like seven or eight, that went missing. He even participated in this, the search. He went to the family. Oh, I'm going to help you find your boy. I know everybody in this neighborhood. Helped pass out fl- missing flying posters. Would check back in with the family. Like... Real psychotic. He's in the background the whole time pulling bodies. They're pulling bodies out, and he's like, no, there's more. There's got to be more than that. Mm. By the end of the second day, 17 bodies were discovered, but they were running out of ability to remove bodies further because they didn't have the right right tools. They had spades, which are not appropriate for exhuming bodies. And uh, they were knee-deep in decomposition fluids, so... They abandoned digging at that time, knowing that there was more bodies there. I mean, in all honesty, how do you even proceed when all that, you're that deep and there's all the decomposition fluid? I mean, I think they did the same thing at Gacy's house because a lot of those bodies had just decayed so bad and it was so deep because he ran you out of shot room. back out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, knowing there's probably two bodies still buried out there me and becky went to go check out this lot and it's an abandoned lot with some horses on it which makes me my heart ache for the horses that they're just tromping around chewing on the grass growing from all that because you know there was never any proper cleanup oh no definitely not in those days i know it's been a long time but still even then you just it's like you, you can't erase that memory, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and these horses are kind of neglected at that, so it's like just super sad Sorry to see. if they're your horses and you're listening, but their hoofs were pretty fucked. They were pretty bad. I don't know a lot about horses, but I know about a hoof when I see one. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Since Henley was the only one out there, of 
course, news crews had started coming out and everything, and uh, David Brooks' dad hears about this, knows Dean has been thick as these with his son, and goes, we're going to the police right now. You're going to tell them everything you know, and you're going to help them find all these bodies, these boys. We need to help their families, which, I mean, kudos, because how many dads let their kids get away with shit? Like, right? you know what? Not my monkeys, not my circus. Right. This motherfucker was real upstanding. He took him in there, wanted to... uh you know, get him to say everything he could to help with these families. And so he didn't really want to talk at first, but then under pressure of his dad, he did finally break and started saying, you know, uh, this happened, we watched, he did stuff to me, Henley was not as innocent as you think, he was just as sadistic and murderous, he killed a lot of his boys himself. Oh. Yeah. Um, and then he started revealing more, uh, where he had buried other bodies because he did run out of room at that storage building and he had been bothering the owner of the storage building for months like hey I need uh, I need another storage building and she just hadn't had one available or whatever and so they started burying bodies in other places one of them was High Island and another site was Lake Sam Rayburn near his grandparents cabin that when they exhumed the 26th body out of these places, that's when they decided to stop. Despite knowing there's more bodies and Henley and Brooks saying, hey, there's more locations, they beat the record uh, of Juan Corona, who was a serial killer with the biggest record at the time. He had killed 25 migrant farm workers. And so once they hit that... 26, they're like, ah, we broke the record, we're done. Let's call it good. What? Okay, great, but this isn't like horseshoes, okay? Yeah. This isn't, this, this yeah. isn't cornhole, sir. Yeah, this is not. We need to keep finding bodies. Right after this case, that sheriff, or that chief, actually um, retired or resigned. Thank fucking God. Yeah. Uh... 28 bodies were the record until Gacy took the title at 33 victims, which, both cases, there are more victims, possibly. They're just right. unknown. If I say right one more damn time. <laughs> one more thing. <clears throat> Get a new catchphrase, Becky. So I do have some really fun pictures, and they're pretty fucking disgusting. And these are the ones that came from Reddit. That I was like, I need to find more pictures because you can't find a whole lot when you just Google it. And I came across this Google Drive, and this person has to have known somebody to get these photos, but these are some of the bodies in, from the recovery site. You can see some of the bones. Mm -hmm. Who in there with their high oh, heels? Oh. Okay. All up on a dead body. That's what I wear when I dig. And oh. sell the plastic wrap. You can tell some of these were teenagers and some were younger. Yeah. It's pretty fucked up. It is a lot fucked up. They even have like a picture of the dildo on one of the uh, TV shows I watched. and But they, this was funny, they only blurred out the very tip. <laughs> I can't. I can't tell what this is. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> the little cock head got blurred out. <laughs> the little head. But you can see the balls. <laughs> right? Just the tip. So just the tip, they just the tip, just the tip. So they did have a funeral for Dean Coral, 
and it lasted all of 10 minutes. You know, with the, the pastor pretty much saying, uh, you know, forgive us in life or whatever, some bullshit. And, of course, there were reporters there. Now, he was a veteran, even though he was only in for a year. So he got full burial rights, armed forces bureau, right, where they do the dead flag. Dead-ass shame. It is. A French reporter made a comment, like, how we complicitly allowed it, him to be portrayed as such a heroic person. Oh, yeah. His Meanwhile, says... PFC. Exactly. Like, nobody gives a fuck you in the military. You're not. You weren't we even in for a to... whole year. Yeah. And Your mama wanted you to can not factory. Want to relate um, no. our armed forces to you. Not even. Not it's even. Pathetic. Related. Yeah. After that, Dean's mother, you know, vehemently d- supported him, even pinning an open letter to Henley and Brooks, blaming them for everything, telling them that they need to take responsibility because it's their fault. It was not Dean's. Oh, okay. She stated that there was nothing wrong with Dean. He wasn't a homosexual, just asexual. The evidence says otherwise. He received his sex ed from the farm along with his brother, um, which that's not going to fuck you up because he would go spend like summers on the farm and animals having sex apparently is all the education that young boy needed. Oh. Um, his dad wasn't abusive and she cited all these things as him being normal. Well, sure. let's leave out those squirrel necklaces, okay? <laughs> sure, sure. It's totally normal. It's all the rest of us that are weirdos. Right? So, 42 boys had gone missing in Houston between 1970 and 1973. Probably all of his victims. Probably. And, of course, there was criticism against HPD for stopping after they beat Juan Corona's uh, record. As should be. The good news is that most of these victims were later identified, even with the most recently be dis- uh, identity of one being discovered in 2011 through DNA and um, forensic gene- genealogy and all that, which, thank God for that nowadays. It is bringing peace to a lot of people. His only unidentified victim, he was the 16th body in the boat shed. He was in advanced stage of decomposition at the time of his discovery, leading investigators to deduce that he had been killed between 1971 and 1972. So, they do have some um, pictures of what the boy might have looked like. I was trying to find, like, a better one because it looks kind of odd, but... The unidentified victim was wearing swimming trunks, cowboy boots, a leather bracelet, and a t-shirt. Investigators um, conclude that he was likely killed in the summer months. Okay. You know what? He's wearing a bathing suit. Definitely (laughs) summer. That summer attire. With Uh, the boots. Yeah. In a... So Texas. So Texas. In addition, the t-shirt he had worn had a handwritten inscription believed to read either LB4MF or LBHMF or L84MF. They can't tell. They can't make it out, so they have these different ones. So Maybe one day they'll find the, the identity of that kid. I'm assuming they tried to run his DNA and found no... Nothing that I'm aware of, yeah. It's really heartbreaking that no one has come forward well i mean it's just like when they found out the identities of some of those girls for the i-45 killer those families had not even reported those women missing that's sad and to know that they were missing but not really for that many years it's really sad In 1973, Dallas uncovered a national sex trafficking ring that was nationwide and many believe that the statements to that the statements Henley and Brooks made about Dean being in this sex trafficking 
Right. Had some weight to it. In 1975, HPD discovered a cache of pornographic images and films depicting boys as young as eight, most from the Heights. Of the 16 individuals depicted with the films, 11 of the youths appeared to be among Coral's known victims, who had been identified by that date. Um, The discovery also raised a disturbing possibility that the statements Coral had given both to Henley and Brooks prior to his murder, that he was associated with an organization based in Dallas which bought and sold boys may have indeed held a degree of truth. Oh, I believe 100% it did because he didn't have all that money to pay them without. Yeah. So it did lead to the arrest of five individuals in Santa Clara, California, but no link between these arrests and Coral had been proven. So they declined, HPD declined to pursue any possible further link to the killings, saying that they felt Coral's victims' families had suffered enough. You think? They suffered enough that they don't want justice. Right. <laughs> At this point, the boys are going to go to trial. And I'm going to tell you what happened to each boy, which are really young men at that time. Elmer Wayne Henley Jr. Jr. was not charged for Dean's death because it was self-defense. But he was brought to trial in San Antonio because they moved the, from Houston to San Antonio for fairness. In July 1974, and he was charged with murders of six teenage boys, whom he himself had lured to Coral's apartment between 1972 and 1973. They also presented, the state presented 82 pieces of evidence throughout Henley's trial, including the written confession Henley had given, which was read to the court in which he admitted to killing or assisting in the abduction of murder and murder of several youths, including six teenagers for who who he was on trial for murder. And he, I mean, when I say that his confession was damning, it was. He was. He said at one point, like, I didn't realize it was going to be so hard to kill a boy. Oh. And make it look a lot easier on the movies. One boy, um, they accidentally, the gun accidentally <laughs> discharged and shot the kid's jaw off. One kid got shot but survived somehow. And when Henley raised the gun to go shoot him, he said... Oh, Wayne, don't. And then killed him. That's sad. Mm-hmm. So sad. Uh, many pieces of, many pieces were used as evidence, which was the body box, where they used that box in his van to transport bodies for funerals. I mean, for burial. <laughs> what do you not, want to bet? Not the same thing, Jennifer. <laughs> what do you want to bet he had little funerals, though? Oh, I don't know. That would require some degree of empathy and compassion, which I don't think he had an iota He would probably call them celebrations of life slash deaths. (laughs) (laughs) In that body box, they identified the hair of Charles Cobble, which was one of the victims. They used the plywood torture board as evidence and the witness statements of 25 people who could testify to Henley's involvement with abduction, torture, and murder of these boys. I'm going to stop you right there. 25 people can attest to Henley doing all this, where were these 25 people speaking up when it was going on? (laughs) Some of them are David Brooks. He was one of them. Some of them were victims that weren't murdered. Oh, So young boys that were raped and tortured and let go and came back multiple times but still didn't get killed. I know. And then I think there was some other people in the neighborhood that, oh, this seemed kind of (laughs) odd. Did it? I have a question, but I'm trying to wait to the end to make, see if you hit it up or not. So. All right. <laughs> you know how he loves to talk? Well, this is the one time he didn't. They He didn't testify at his own trial. 
And um, within one hour, the jury returned and Henley was found guilty and sentenced to six consecutive 99 terms of imprisonment. His conviction was overturned on appeal in 1978, and he was tried for a second time in 1979 and convicted again of the six murders and again sentenced to six consecutive life terms. He became first eligible parole in 1980 on this occasion, and each successive parole hearing to date, he's been denied parole. His next eligible parole date is coming around the corner, October 2025, and he'll be 69 years old. He's serving life sentence at Mark W. Michael Unit in Anderson County, Texas at this moment. Mm. So David Brooks was brought to trial February 27, 1975, and he had been indicted for four murders committed between 1970 and 1973, but was brought to trial charged with only one, the 1973 murder of 15-year-old William Ray Lawrence. His defense attorney, Jim Skeleton, argued that his client had not committed any murders and attempted to portray Coral, and to a lesser degree, Henley, as being the active participants in the actual killing. So pretty much, like, I was a third wheel. I knew it was happening, kind of, but not I really. I brought him there. He kept, and I knew it was going to happen. I think a lot of it stems back to his dad in this situation. And in The Man with Candy, they talk about it, where his dad made him do all this. And they wrote out this whole confession, and he said, okay, well, I need you to sign this. He goes, I need to wait for my daddy to be here. So he waited for his dad to get there, and he signed his confession after his dad read it. And his dad was very upset because he was telling him, like, I just hope that you didn't kill anybody. Mm-hmm. I, I don't care if you participated, just I please, God, tell me you didn't kill anybody. So he's pretty much kept that position that I didn't kill anybody, but I was there. And I think it has to do with not disappointing his father, which at this point they had not had a relationship. He was a bad alcoholic at one time. Well, this actually brought them closer together and they reformed a <laughs> relationship. Something like this turns people to drinking. And if your parents are not an alcoholic, it turns them into it. Because I feel like if one of my boys did this, I'd start hitting the bottle on a regular basis. I mean, but you know, 28 mur- murders brought them close together, baby. Family reunion. <laughs> the ADA, Tommy Dunn, dismissed the defense's contention outright, at one point telling the jury... This defendant was in on this killing, this murderous rampage, from the very beginning. He tells you he was a cheerleader, if nothing else. That's what he was telling you about his presence. You know he was in on it. Oh, yeah. Brooks' trial lasted less than a week, and the jury deliberated just a hair longer at 90 minutes, and they reached the verdict and found him guilty, and sentenced him to life imprisonment. When they sentenced him, he had no emotion whatsoever. His wife burst into tears, however. Which, sure. I the, wonder... He's the one that got the girl knocked up, right? Yep. So right whole, whole right before all this shit happened. He served his life sentence at Terrell Unit near Rocheron... Rocheron? Rocheron. Rocheron. Yeah. Texas. And died of COVID-19-related complications at Galveston Hospital on May 28th, 2020, at the age of 65. So he was literally... Right down the street. Like, literally a hop, skip, and jump from where I work. Good old vid. Finally did something right. Right. In 2021, in November, Texas EcuSearch dug up the yard at Lamar Drives in hopes to find more victims to no avail. Founder Tim Miller stated that he had been working with Henley, who suggested more places to look in hopes to bring families more closure. They went out there twice and still were not able to find anything. 
at this time, there's no bodies there, but they might have just not found them. So that leads into the question that I had. Did they ever bother to go dig up where the candy factory was, where he was, you know, reflooring? I know there's houses there, and I assume maybe they're over there. Or did they ever go to bother to dig up any of the places he used to bury his apples and pecans? See, that's where I'm wondering, too. Like, they don't ever mention it. There are some other places that Henley has pointed out, like, we haven't even been here. We need to go here. And I don't know if that's a catch for just trying to keep relevant or if there's really bodies. But they're apparently going to they're gonna try to hit some more of these places. But what gets me so mad is that, like, the fact that they have to keep communicating with this piece of shit. Right. It was very obviously in on these murders. Yeah. He's just playing this innocent card because the less the, the more detailed parts that really implicate him aren't as well known. Here are the victims. Jeffrey Allen Conan, eighteen. James Eugene Glass, fourteen. Danny Michael Yates, fourteen. Donald Wayne Waldrop, fifteen. Jerry Lynn Waldrop, thirteen. Randall Lee Harvey, fifteen. David William Hillegeist, thirteen. Gregory Malley Winkle, 16. Reuben Wilford Watson Haney, that's a long name, 17. Frank Aguirre, 18. Mark Stephen Scott, 17. His body wasn't recovered but was claimed to be in that shed by Henley. Johnny Ray DeLome, 16. Billy Jean Bolch Jr., 17. Stephen Kent Sigmund, 17. Roy Eugene Bunton, 19. Wally J. Simino, 14, Richard Edward Henry, 13, Willard Carmen Branch Jr., 18, Richard Allen Kepner, 19, Joseph Allen Lyles, 17, William Ray Lawrence, 15, Raymond Stanley Blackburn, 20, Homer Lewis Garcia, 15, John Manny Seller, 17, Michael Anthony Bulch, 15, Marty Ray Jones, 18, Charles Carey Cobble, 17, James Stanton, Dremala, 13, and one unknown victim. And these are all the ones that have been, like, either discovered or claimed by Henley and Brooks. There's no telling how many are actually out there that they put into that sex trafficking ring, because I, I just really believe that he had something to do with that. So there could be victims all over the place. Oh, yeah. And God knows if Henley ever did stuff by himself. Because if you know you, he did it with Dean, he might have done some stuff by himself. So, since we started out on a quote, I was going to end on a quote on this one. And this was Detective Dave Mulliken. How that man was able to go out to that storage shed, time after time, and bury one more dead boy is something I'll never understand. You get to close to evil like that, no matter how long ago it was, and it never leaves you. Hmm. Ain't that the truth? And that's the story of Dean Coral, Albert Way Henley Jr., and David Brooks. Excellent job. Thank you. Oh, God, I'm so done with that now. <laughs> Ready to wash it free of <laughs> my mind. Get it out. Get it out. <laughs> well, thanks, you guys. Can't wait for you to hear the next two-parter that we have headed your way. Yes. Thank you for listening. Stay safe. Keep your head on a swivel. And don't bring it too close to home. Bye. Bye. If you like listening to us, you can find us on Facebook at Too Close Pod or under the Instagram handle Too Close Podcast. Also, if you have any stories of your own Too Close to Home experiences, shoot us an email at Too Close to Home at Yahoo.com. Thanks for listening.